Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 15. Where's Miss Kaola at? There she is. Welcome, Miss Kaola, as she comes and reads the Word of God for us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, they saw that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing to move forward in our study of the Gospel of John, and if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you'll remember that Jesus has said, my hour has come. And he is just a few hours away from being betrayed by one of his closest companions, being arrested, and then being crucified for the sins of the world. But before this happens, he has gathered his closest companions, his disciples, with him because he wants to give them Some final instructions. These are his final words to his disciples before he is crucified. 
he, he gives them three things. Number one, he says, take care of, of, of each other. He says, listen, love one another as I have loved you. He washes their feet. He says, wash one another's feet as I've washed yours. And then he says, you know, I'm leaving, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in God. Believe in me. Because I'm going to prepare a place for you. We know now that he went to the cross to prepare a place for us, to pay for our sins and, and to open the gates of heaven so that we could be with him forever. And thirdly, he says, listen, I'm leaving. I'm coming back, but I'm not leaving you alone as orphans. I'm sending a helper. I'm sending the Holy Spirit, not just to be among you, because he's already among you, but to be within you, dwelling within you, comforting you, and encouraging you and empowering you. And this morning in John chapter 15, as Jesus continues, he begins by speaking metaphorically. And in this symbolic word picture, Jesus introduces four major components. They are a vine, a vine dresser, and branches, two types of branches, fruitful branches and unfruitful branches. And in verse 1, Jesus makes it very clear who the vine and the vine dresser are. Let's look at it. He says, I am the vine. Wow, that's pretty easy, isn't it? Who's the vine? He's the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now, something that we need to take notice of in this passage is that in uh, verse 1, Jesus is giving his final I am declaration. Jesus gives seven of them in the book of John. I've listed them up here on the screen. He says, I am the bread of life. I give food to my disciples to, to feed on in their spirit. I am the light of the world. I give sight to the blind who cannot see spiritually. I am the door of the sheep. In other words, you're not going to get to God unless you come through the door. But if you do come through the door, you can go in and out and find green pasture. He says, I am the good shepherd. We don't make good shepherds of ourselves, do we? We need a good shepherd. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is, has power over dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And today, in our passage, he says, I am the true vine. Now, his disciples would have been familiar with this type of comparison. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is often referred to as a vine. Like in Psalm chapter 80, verses 8 and 9, he says, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. This is when God took the, the nation of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt and, and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. Israel was the nation, they were the chosen people that were to be set apart, that would represent God. They were to be a fruitful vine, and they, they were the, the, the very nation through whom the Messiah was to come. But Israel is not the true vine because Israel proved to be rebellious against God and unwilling to produce the fruit that he expected. But when Jesus came, when Jesus came, he remained true to God and his covenant and all that he had commanded. He produced the fruit that none of us could produce, the perfect fruit of righteousness by living perfectly before the Lord. 
So Jesus in this metaphor is the vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. And then in verse 2, he talks about two types of branches. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruitful. So we have fruitful and unfruitful branches. Now, at the very beginning of this passage, I just want to set up some things, and then we're going to go through the passage. But it's important for us to understand that this passage addresses the union between Jesus and his true followers, how that, and how that union with Jesus affects fruitfulness in the life of a true believer. That's important for us to understand. This is about the union between Jesus and his bride. And Jesus, the true vine, is also making a distinction. This is where we really have to pay attention this morning. He's making a distinction between true and false branches. And this morning, I believe that he would have each of us. This message is not, don't put your, blind, uh, your uh, reflector on and go, man, I, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. You're here, okay? This is for all of, it, of us to be examining ourselves. What branch are you? Okay, that's a question you need to be asking yourself as we go through this passage. Are you a true branch that is rightly connected to the true vine, or are you a branch that in the end is going to be gathered and burned? And Jesus is gracious to us. He gives us three gospel tests to examine ourselves with, and we're going to look at those. I call them the ABCs of being a true branch. So true branches, number one, abide. True branches, number two, bear fruit. And uh, true branches, number three, continually experience pruning. We're going to go through all three of those points as we move forward. So let's begin with abiding. What does uh, the word abide mean? Well, it is the Greek word, meno, that means to remain or to stay or reside. The first time that Jesus uses this, ver- this word in this passage is verse 4. Let's look at that. He says, abide in me and I in you. Now, it's, it's interesting to take note of this, that there is a sort of mutual invitation that Jesus is giving us right here. It is a command, abide in me, but it is a command that, that has the tone of an invitation, He's inviting us. It could be read like this. I'm inviting you to abide in me because I desire to abide in you. He continues and says, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus uses the word abide three times in this this verse. Eleven times in this entire passage. And let me give you a little bit of, um, <clears throat> uh, what's the word? Instruction. As you're reading your Bible, if you see something repeated over and over and over, and in this passage, abide, 11 times to say abide is a lot of times. If you see that over and over, you need to stop and take note because God is seeking to get our attention, to drive home a point. And I believe in this passage here, the point that he's wanting to drive home is that abiding is serious business. Jesus is revealing that true disciples abide, remain, or stay, or reside in him, the true 
vine. And I was thinking <clears throat> earlier, what is it, what's a, a great example of what it means to abide? And my mind went to Genesis chapter 6 and 7. This is the account of the worldwide flood. Let me say that again. The global, the worldwide flood where Noah built a, right? I've got a picture of, of something that, that might resemble the ark. This, this ark right here is, actually exists up in Kentucky. Ken Ham and the boys built this. It's a life-size ark. It's, it's pretty amazing if you get a chance to go up there and look at it. But those of us who are familiar with this account know that God was going to destroy the earth and all the inhabitants because of wickedness. And he comes to Noah and he says, build an ark for you and your family and animals. And so Noah does that. And before the flood comes, what does he do? What does he do? He gets in that ark with his family and the animals, and he abides in the ark. He doesn't kind of like halfway go in, and he's not kind of like hanging out as the oceans are rising. He's inside the safety of the ark. He doesn't have plans to leave because he knows that if he's going to live and if he's going to escape judgment, he has to abide within the ark. And this ark is a picture of Jesus to his disciples. Jesus saves his people. And he says, I am the true life-giving vine. And if you want to live as a branch, you must abide in me. So true branches, number one, abide in him. Number two, true branches bear fruit. In verse five, <clears throat> Jesus says, I am the vine. He repeats it. You are the branches. That's important for us to understand, church. Who is the vine and who is the branch? Which is more important, the vine or the branch? Good. Okay, we're all going on the right direction. A, a, a vine can continue if a branch is taken off, can it? But if the vine goes down, everybody's going down, right? But Jesus has risen from the dead, as we preached last week. He ain't going down, so we need to stay in the vine. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears what? Much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Notice Jesus says, whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. Not might bear much fruit, but will. Is your life bearing fruit? I mean, you ask your, you, you got to analyze yourself. Is your life bearing fruit? If not, according to Jesus, it's because you might have an abiding issue. Is your life bearing fruit? Then I guarantee you, you are abiding in the vine. That's the promise of Jesus. Verse 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And these unfruitful branches that are in verse 6 are a warning of judgment. Judas is an example of this because he did not abide, he did not remain in the vine. He found his life somewhere else. Unfortunately, he found it in 30 
30 pieces of silver. If you could talk to him now, what would he say? He would say, abide in the vine. He is like a branch that withers and and is thrown away. And Jesus is teaching here, listen, Jesus is teaching here that there are eternal consequences for refusing his gracious offer of salvation. So as a church, as an individual, let us not take his offer lightly. Amen? Amen. Verse 7, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus' greatest passion, his greatest desire was not to come to earth and please us. It wasn't even to save us. That's part of it, but that's not his greatest desire. His greatest desire is to reveal his Father and to bring glory to the Father. He did that by dying for us. But Jesus' heart is turned to the Father. He wants God to be glorified in all the earth, in everything he did. He said, I don't do things on my own accord. I do what my Father tells me to do. And here he's saying, look, I want my Father glorified, and, I, and this is how it happens, is by you guys bearing much fruit. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to bear much fruit. Why? So that my Father can be glorified. And number two, so that you can know that you are truly my disciples. That's the proof of being a disciple, is that you abide in Jesus and then you bear much fruit. But what does that mean to bear much fruit? We can talk about this, you know, say awesome words, yeah, I want to bear much fruit, but what does that even mean? Well, there is a a saying that is very popular in our culture that says that you need to strive to become the best version of you, okay? That is something that, that I've heard, uh, and it sounds good. It really, yeah, I want to be the best version of me. The only problem with that is that the Scripture doesn't teach that, okay? As a disciple, it does not teach that, that we need to come to, to Jesus with all our gifts and talents and that he will empower us to be, with the Holy Spirit, to be spiritual beasts and that we will crush life under the banner of, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There is a, um, a gospel that is preached like that. Come to Jesus, man, your life is going to be just fruitful. You're going to explode. Talk to the Apostle Paul about that as his head was getting cut off. He's one of the most fruitful um, disciples that has ever walked the face of the earth. So it cannot mean, being fruitful cannot mean that everything in our lives, our businesses prosper, our families, our children are just, Father, you're awesome, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> that cannot be, although that is cool if, if they do that. God is not about you using him for you to reach your full potential. That is not in the Bible. The problem with the, the thinking of being the best version of yourself is that you're focused on yourself. That's the problem with it. The motivation is not to know God, but rather to use God to achieve your dreams that, are, that you're in your heart. And we've been pounded and pounded. Follow your dreams. Don't let anything get in the way of your dreams. That's not in the Bible. Jesus says, if you come after me, deny yourself. 
take up your cross and follow me. Why? Because he's mean and angry and wants to beat you? No, because he knows that the dreams in your heart that are apart from him are not going to bring you life. That's how good Jesus is to us. So if we're going to, to bear much fruit, we need to understand that God is not interested in making you into the best version of yourself. But he is interested in transforming you into the image of his son. That is what bearing much fruit means. It means that you are going from you and being transformed into the image of Jesus. The word Christian means what? Little Jesus, right? We should be a bunch of little Jesuses running around. And that's what uh, uh, the true disciples are. Because the heart cry, listen, of a true disciple is this, I'm done with myself. I'm no longer seeking to make a name for myself. I'm not coming to you, Jesus, so that you'll give me a, a, a better job or you'll make my marriage better or that my grades will get better or that I'll have a better lifestyle. The mark of a true disciple is this. A true disciple wants God, period. That's the mark of a true disciple, to know God more and to live for him in a way that reveals him more. It's like the song that we sang earlier this morning. More of you and less of me will take everything. That is the heart cry of true disciples. And that's, that's the primary fruit, I believe, that Jesus is talking about here. Becoming more and more like Jesus. So true branches, number one, abide. Number two, they bear fruit. And number three, they continually experience pruning. Verse two, he says, every branch in me... That does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Pruning is a primary agent that God uses in the life of a believer to make him more or make her more like Jesus. But you know, pruning don't feel good. Pruning is painful Pruning is uncomfortable. The writer of Hebrews says that no discipline or no pruning seems pleasant at the time. But in the end, it produces much fruit. And it's, it's known as the process of, of sanctification. When you come to Jesus and you lay your life at his feet and say, Lord, I trust in you. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord. At that moment, all your sin is wiped away, washed away. There's a theological term that we use. It's called you're justified. You are declared by God righteous immediately. There's no, nothing left to do but walk in his righteousness. Now, the, process, the lifelong process of sanctification is when the potter takes you, that, that lump of clay, and he begins to mold you into whatever he sees fit 
to bring glory to his son, Jesus. And that's what we're doing when we come to Jesus. We're saying, I no longer have the right to tell you what to do with my life. I trust that you're going to do whatever it needs to be done in my life. Because I want to know you, and I want to glorify you, and I want you to be revealed. And we need to understand that this process of sanctification, this continual pruning, is continual. If you've ever seen American Gladiator, that is a biblical show that you need to watch. (laughs) It's like American Gladiator. You know when they're jumping from one thing to the next, and they get through? What's, what's next? There's another trial waiting for, obstacle waiting for them. And they keep going. Sometimes they fall off and fall into the water. And what happens? I'll see you next year. Why? Because I'm a gladiator, right? And there's times that we fall into the water. But true disciples, he's holding us. He doesn't let us go. True disciples keep going. And one day we will hit that, that uh, thingy, the buzzer, yes, on Mount... Midoriyama, amen. <laughs> See, he knows geography. Biblical geography. Oh, man, I'm going back to the 80s, aren't I? Gladiator. Man. Y'all know what I was talking about. Man, that's embarrassing. God just pruned me in front of all y'all. Mm. Because I did that on purpose. Because... Pruning, <laughs> pruning involves correction. When you go the wrong direction, you need correction to reach perfection. Mm. No more, no more. Pruning is painful, as I can see in your eyes, right? But it is. Correction, when you're going in the wrong direction, we need correction, don't we? But I hate it. I hate it. My flesh does. But my spirit, my disciple part of me that's redeemed, loves it. Yes, because that's where I grow. Correction. Sometimes he removes dead things in us, the sin that dwells within us, that that wants to put us to death. And then idols, things that we think are good, sometimes he takes them away from us for his glory so that we will worship him. There's storms that come in our life. He allows storms to come into our life. He's got us, but that causes the branch to, to hold tighter to the vine. These are the prunings. These are, these are the things that God allows to come into our life. And here's one of the, the biggest prunings that he gives us. Waiting. Waiting. How many of you guys are waiting for something right now? Okay. That is some of the hardest pruning that we can go through. But listen to Psalm 25, verse 3. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Psalm 25, 3. Let me say that again. Indeed, none who wait for you, Lord, shall be put to shame. That is a promise from God. If you're waiting for something from God, and he's promised it to you, he will deliver. Bottom line is that God has ordained the process of pruning to strip us and cleanse us and require us to walk by faith and trust him so that we can be more fruitful. And that means to be transformed into the image of Christ. So those are the three ABCs. Abide, bear fruit, continually 
continually experience pruning. Now, <clears throat> of all these, number one, this passage is, is, talks a lot about abiding. So I want to spend the rest of our time talking about what does that mean? How do we practically abide? <clears throat> I think verse 7, Jesus gives us some clues. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my words and my words abide in you, ask. Two words in there, word and ask. I believe that abiding involves two things, abiding in his word and abiding in prayer. These are two spiritual disciplines that every disciple needs to grow in, myself included. As I'm talking about this, I realize how far I fall short of this. Abiding in his word, Peter says, 1 Peter 2, 2 says, like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Now listen, <clears throat> devotionals, devotionals, are cool. They're good. And listening to sermons are really are good too. They have their place, but it is not the same as going directly into the word. We have got to be a people who go directly to the word and get immersed into the word so that you can hear from God. In devotionals, what you're doing is you're hearing what someone else has heard and they're sharing it with you. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm doing that right now. But that should not be our primary source of abiding in his word. Another thing, I was, <clears throat> we're going to be introducing some um, new members. And one of the things I've told all of our members is this. Listen, me and Terry and whoever gets up here, we're, we're called to preach the word. But you're also called to hold us accountable. You can't hold us accountable to something you don't know. Right, So we want to encourage all of us to be in the Word of God because as we are in the Word of God, that is a process of abiding, and we will bear much fruit. Secondly, we need to abide in prayer. This one is an area that I'm growing in and that I, I hope to grow more in, prayer. Why don't we pray? It's usually a faith issue. Either we're proud, I got this, I don't need to pray on this one. Or it's unbelief. You know, God doesn't really hear me. He doesn't really care about my situation. Those are two um, thoughts that we need to fight past. We need to fight past our laziness and unbelief. We're his children. He loves us. And I was reminded of that hymn that, um, that we used to sing when I was a kid. Oh, what peace we often forfeit, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry, what? Everything to God in prayer. Abiding involves abiding in his word, abiding in prayer, and one other thing, abiding in the gospel. Abiding in the gospel. Now, the first time that Jesus uses the word abiding in the book of John is not in chapter 15. It's in chapter 6. We went through this um, years ago, when we were back in chapter 6. Jesus is, <clears throat> has just fed the 5,000. The next day, <clears throat> the crowd comes across, and they're wanting more bread, and he goes to them in verse 53. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Your body might be alive, but your spirit is dead. Now, when he's talking about his flesh and his blood, we know he's not talking about cannibalism. He's not talking about eating his uh, natural body. He's talking about what we're going to do in a little bit is his body that's broken and his blood that's going to be poured out. He's talking about the cross here. Unless you take in like you would a meal and get nurtured by what I'm going to do for you on the cross, you will have no life in you. Verse 54, he says, whoever feeds on my flesh feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Sherry, we talked about this at MC, right? Jesus is going to raise up. He's going to raise up his disciples on the last day. For my flesh, get this, is true food, and my blood is true drink. What did Jesus say he is? I am the true vine through whom true life comes. And then verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, what? Abides in me, and I in him. And in verse 4, back in our passage, he says, abide in me, and I in you. So to abide in Jesus means that we would abide in the gospel. Back in verse 12, uh, let's get, go back to John 15. In verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There's the gospel. How did he love us? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You see it there? The gospel. That is how we are going to grow as a church, abiding in his word, abiding in his prayer, abiding in the gospel. The gospel is where his love is displayed for us. He says, "Stay in my, remain in my love, and you'll bear much fruit. Now, <clears throat> I want to give, in closing, I want to give a, a visual picture of, of what that means to abide. Um, in my hands, I hold a container of 20,000 super expanding water beads. How many of you guys are familiar with these? These things are awesome. I mean, they're really cool. They look like sprinkles that you would put on top of ice cream, but do not eat them. (laughs) These represent your life. I'll do one more. You know how many I just put in there? Over 1,200 of these little guys, of these little guys right there. How do I know that? Because I had Esther count uh, (laughs) that. So just a little tidbit of of information. Okay. So Jesus, he never calls himself the living water. He says that if you believe in me, you will have rivers of living water flowing from you. And he was speaking of the Holy Spirit that he would give us. The Holy Spirit is known as, as, as living water. He fills us up. But it looks like nothing's happening, right? This is, some people come to Jesus and nothing seems to happen right away in their life. 
And so they just move on to something else because they don't abide. These beads, if they will abide, let me show you what happens if they abide. Same amount. They abide and they bear much fruit because they abide within the water. Now, what are they doing? They're just abiding. And they are absorbing, they are absorbing the water, the life. Uh, let's see. Tim, can you come up here? I need you. <laughs> let's hear it for Tim. Yes. <clears throat> Tim, I want you to put your hand in, in. I got a whole bunch of them in here. Put your hand in there. What do you feel? Coolness, Coolness right? Coolness. Now, let go of it. What is your hand now? Wet. His hand is wet. Thank you. Thank, tell Tim thank you. <laughs> His hand is wet. Why? Because he came in contact with these beads here. That is a picture of what it looks like when we abide in Jesus and we come in contact with others. They get wet. Now, some people would come up here and go, ooh, and walk away. They don't want your wetness, okay? <laughs> but if we're wise, we can get people to like, ooh, ooh, I like that. And it's really cool. I mean, it's very addicting. Now, if you take one of these, and I did this at home. If you take one of these guys and you just set them over here, <clears throat> three days from now, they'll be back to here. But you can, this thing sat on my, my counter for two weeks, and it, does, it stays like this. This is a picture of the church. When we're all abiding in Christ and we stay together, we stay juicy and plump. <laughs> Now, there are much more beads in here than are in there. And we can be two types of churches. We can be a church with a bunch of beads, a bunch of bodies. Or we can be a church with a few filled bodies of Christ. Which one do you want to be? There's a lot of these, aren't there? I'm not saying that this couldn't get filled up, but I want to be in this church right here. But you know, and this is my closing remarks here. If this is the church, we were not meant to stay in here, were we? We were meant to go out. <laughs> and there will be people that don't like that. Thank you, Holly. I thought about turning this all the way over. And if you step on it, you will not fall. But if I did, it would do what? It would make a mess, wouldn't it? We can be a clean church. Now listen, at communion, <clears throat> come up and put your beads in here. I, I've got your attention now. Do we want to be a nice, clean church? Or do we want to get messy? There's only one thing we need to do. I love you, Lisa. That's right. We want to be a messy church. 
Because Jesus deals with messes. There's going to be a mess in here for Holly Smith to clean up this week. I'll pay you extra. She's persecuting me. But seriously, it's only going to take one thing, that we all abide in Christ. Because if we do, Jesus said, you will bear much fruit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.